Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yeah, it's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Cricket isn't a runner ball 50. It's 32 of 167 balls, and everyone's saying, thank Christ, when you finally get caught at mid-off, and everyone else is laughing at you. Still, 40-odd. Cricket isn't success at every level. It's doing well as a leg spinner in your youth, only to experience merciless domination at the hands of adults as you age. It's the yips, you tell yourself. You'll recover, except it's not the yips at all. You just have poor skill, no power, and alarmingly small hands. Cricket isn't about balancing your personal life with your love for the sport. It's landing a final interview for the job of your dreams, but skipping it because it clashes with training and you need a net session before the weekend. It's quitting your job, breaking up with your long-term girlfriend and moving to England for six months just because a UK club is willing to pay you 100 quid per week as their overseas player. It's the hundreds of sacrifices you make for this ridiculous sport, mainly because you're scared of the future and even at the age of 31, refuse to contemplate a world where cricket isn't the focal point of your life. The great cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a great cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the great cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel a gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Grey Cricketer Podcast. My name is Ian Higgins. I'm joined by Sam Perry and David Edwards. A big show this week. Brad Haddon is on. We've got Brad Haddon in. We're going to be speaking about the third test, reviewing the third test, Australia versus Africa. We're going to be speaking also in the third test, India versus England. Of course, Fidel Castro. It's a big story this week. We'll be talking about that and also your, your questions and tweets. Hashtag AskTGCs. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Higos and Pezza. Thanks, mate. Thrilled really to be with you on the Grey Cricketer podcast for another week. And what a week it's been. What well, a week. Up, upheaval in Australian cricket in the last seven days. When we, when we last convened in this mildewed room in, yep. the back, in the back houses of Fox Sports Studios, mm. we were talking about cricket in crisis. But now, obviously, cricket's, you know, Australia's entering a great period of renaissance. We're back. Uh, we're number three in the world. We've won a test match and uh, all is right. Is that right? Don't rankings mean nothing? I mean, no, we're going to be speaking about England and, and India's rankings later. So in, in England lost that test match, but then moved up in the rankings because that's how normal society Obvious. works. Um, so, so rankings mean nothing. Uh, South Africa are fifth and Australia now third. Mm. Um, so it means nothing. But I mean, I, I thought the third test match in general showed as much as how poor Australia have been in the first two test matches than it did how well we played in the third test match. Does that make sense? Well, th- this is the question. How do we 
receive their win? Is it the glorious renaissance of Australian cricket with three debutantes, you know, mm. two of whom did reasonably well? Or was it just a dead rubber win that South Africa didn't really care about and laughed their way through? And they certainly did laugh a lot. <laughs> or were we unlucky in the first test because of umpiring decisions? And if we had won that, and you know, we could have won 4-1. We should, if it was a five-test series, we would have won 4-1, am I right? Mm. Yeah, that's right. uh, yeah, yeah, 4-1 because they would have given us an extra test match as well. They would have got because of back. the mint thing. Because of the mint thing, yeah. Mm. I mean, going into the test match, we were, we thought that South Africa would be up for it because they were just lapping up the media, the ridiculous media attention last week about how Faf Duplessis cheated by putting sugar saliva on the ball, mm. um, therefore cheat. Um, but so well, I thought that they'd be up for it, but they, they didn't quite seem up for it. But then again, these night test matches are hard. They seem really hard. Mm. Um, never smart, always hard. But so I, I don't know. I think Australia won fair and square in the third well, test. Let's go into day one. Okay. I, I don't think Faf Du Plessis was would make the declaration that he made were South Africa not two 0 up in the series. Now I understand. I, I love that he used the you know his sense of aggression to bowl at Australia under lights with a pink ball and all the controversy and uh, fear surrounding that. But d- does he make that declaration where where he not two 0 up? It was a crime of passion on his behalf. You know, he got caught up in the emo- in the moment and the yeah. euphoria of it all mm. and his own wonderful century. And he made a, a tactical error and it led to their demise. And, you know, now it's all about Australia, isn't Sack it now? Yeah, mm. forget South Africa. Let's talk about us because mm. we won a game of cricket and it had been about 60 days since that happened. Mm. Um, look, we've got such a fresh, a fresh lineup now. So fresh. Many, so many new places, so many different players in yeah. the team. And what do we do with them now? Do we pick and stick? Oh, that's a phrase I like. Do we take these players and do we, do we go with them? Do we well, I don't know, Dave, what to do with them, if that's your question. And it was because that's what you asked me. Um, but, I mean, there's obviously the Sean Marsh issue. I mean, when it, when, Yeah, now when, bring Marsh back. When, when hasn't yeah. there been a Sean Marsh issue? That's a hard Struggling to think say. of a day. <laughs> but now because Renshaw did, you know, he did okay. Renshaw did okay. Um, but Sean Marsh does okay at the top of the order as well. But then there's the Maddinson issue as well, who, who struggled a little bit. He got Jaffa. He, he, he had to face his first test match deliveries at 9.30 at night against a reverse swing yeah. pink ball. Yeah. He'd been training for that. He'd been training yeah. for that, yeah. I mean, life. That, that whole experience watching that, that experience for me, the mm. viewing experience on my OLED TV, mm. um, <laughs> was that it, it, it just gave me so many flashbacks to batting at 8.30 against a, you know, a, a brown ball um, in fading light at, mm. at my home ground, Chatswood Oval. Um, and not really picking it up and then just getting bowled by a, a, a part-time fifth grader. That's, and that's always been the batsman's complaint with day-night tests that it just reduces the whole thing to uh, grade cricket training. And blokes are bowling <laughs> off 18 paces. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> no balls are allowed, yeah, obviously. Yeah. The pink ball. What I found interesting about the test was that this kind of, uh, and I've been sledged for using too many good big words on, on this podcast. Too many but, big words, Sam. Sam Perry there said, too many big words, Sam Perry. <laughs> <laughs> My parents were speaking to me or something. <laughs> Nevertheless, I liked the juxtaposition, mm. to stick with that, between new players, new fresh players being there, but them also representing this new philosophy of Australian cricket, which was winning ugly. Like, I mean, up until this point, Australian cricket had basically been daft punk, you know, harder, better, faster, stronger. Yeah. Uh, but now it was sort of more like Radiohead's creep, you know, celebrating yeah. ugliness, yeah. but going with it anyway. Yeah. Renshaw, mm. you know, in Renshaw, you had a guy that was prepared to bat time, mm. occupy the crease. Mm. Hanscom had a technique, a method that we hadn't seen before. Mm. And, and it, you know, caused questions amongst mm. the yep. uh, Australian audience. Are we okay with that? We the win, but it wasn't as attractive as what we're used to. How do you guys see it? I saw the Renshaw debate. I mean, let's, let's go into the Renshaw debate if, okay. if we're going to indulge The Renshaw debate. Like the Renshaw it. debate. Yeah. Um, uh, hashtag Renshaw debate. Um, for me, I thought that he almost did himself more harm than good. I mean, because there's the obvious thing that he batted time and we won the test match. And, and chasing that 
127 in the fourth innings, very short amount of runs, can go really badly really quickly. And we've seen it a million times before. And that's been Australia's problem, batting collapses. So for a guy to bat time was refreshing to see. We win the test match, but we didn't win it the right way still. But for me... Renshaw was he was trying to score like he was genuinely trying to score runs and he just couldn't like like he wasn't um, missing full tosses because he just wanted to bat time he was missing full tosses because he got himself into he dug himself into this massive batting yeah, hole yeah. where he literally couldn't score a run on the offside um, so I think there's I, mean, I think we have to have patience with Renshaw okay. I mean if we look at Australia as, as if it was a company right yeah. so like like Trump's America exactly so mm. metaphors we need to use as many metaphors mm. as we can as possible in the are they like IBM podcast. they're like IBM no <laughs> Australian cricket is like a startup is what I'm saying okay. and, you know in the startup phase mm. of any company you tinker with products and services sure. you know just to see you know before you go to market <laughs> you know just to see if it's right and then um, I think Renshaw is, is kind of like that you know he might not be what we're using the growth phase, yeah. but you know, mature his, product. He's not a mature product yet, but we need to stick with him because he, he might prove uh, to be a source of revenue in the future. Well, was it wasn't it wonderful though? You know, as this young twenty-year-old delivered on what we'd called for, which was patience and mm. batting time and occupying the crease and winning a match in the second innings that we mm. weren't sure we'd win. Wasn't it wonderful, though, just to have the Channel 9 commentators just let us know everything that was wrong with the way that he batted? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the deconstruction of the, of the young man's technique was really refreshing to see because when I'm watching a guy win a match for us at Adelaide Oval, what I want to hear is Chappelle's views on why yeah. it's wrong that he can't yep. score on the offside. Preferably you know? with a reference to Ian Redpath. <laughs> 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 exactly, but isn't it isn't it always you know in in this time of um, discombobulation we don't know where Australian cricket is. One thing you can always rely on is Channel Nine commentators not doing any research from the players that they're talking <laughs> no. about, yeah. and to also bring them down a peg or two yeah. uh, when they do things in a way that the commentators aren't used to. I think we've got even the commentators, including uh, inclusive. I think that we've just got used to that dominance of mid 1990s to mid 2000s yep. and, and we've, we've the growth phase and we've just never got over that like I, I'm still reeling from it obviously but I mean that that era of invincibles but that's probably the wrong term because there was a team called the invincibles in 1948 and they were good they had Radman and stuff yeah. and Neil, stuff. Harvey. Neil, Neil Harvey, Harvey great was, hair yeah great yeah. hair um, so I think we're still reeling from that we're still trying to find players who are just as good as they were yeah. from day one yeah. and, and that's what we know and I think you know why are we scared of what we don't know I mean we we, we, mm. we kind of I guess we just like comfort and security in our cricketers and when we see someone mm. like you, you mentioned Renshaw with his slow run rate and yeah. Hanscom with his interesting technique which we haven't seen lately and mm. you know that, that, that brings all sorts of questions mm. and people like mm. Ciappelli and Michael Clark are yeah, this wasn't in them. Jack Pollard's History of Cricket book published in 1965. How yeah, does it uh, exactly. apply here? Look, I mean, look, Bradman was the Bradman had a homespun technique. You know, he he wasn't straight out of the manual, although he did create a manual of his own subsequently. <laughs> <laughs> no, but his his his, 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 his grip was different. You know, he, he had yeah. a quite a flourishing follow through. Yeah. And you know, and how did he develop that? Well, he was you know he was hitting a golf ball against a water tank or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> But, you know, he, he came out of nowhere and, and he averaged 99.94. So, so I, I guess this is the, <laughs> I guess this is the question. Every, I don't know whether this debate has started up in Australian cricket at the moment. And I guess to use your analogy, Dave, I mean, Australian cricket in the 90s was like the thriving cab industry. Mm. You know, but now it's, but now it's, di- now it's dying, you yeah. know, and it's been yeah. disrupted and, and Uber's the way to go. So Peter Hansen is Uber. Peter Hansen's Uber. Will, Austra- <laughs> Will Australian cricket... 
continue with this philosophy of pragmatism and batting time mm. and being and, win, and being prepared to win ugly, or do you think that they will revert back to this a- attraction, over attrition, yeah, cab industry, Mike Baird mm. helping them out in Sydney? All I'm wondering really is that is this the right time to mention that I got Usman Khawaja out in PGs 11 years ago? <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, the right time to make that public. Yeah. You know, bounced him out, caught on the boundary, could you oval? Terrible ball, but bad against a short ball. There's something quite interesting about Bradman, who who has who has a lot of things interesting. Gone about for like a really homespun technique. Your words, not mine. Um, although that is general consensus, and then the arrogance of him to say, "Now here's a manual to bat exactly like me. You'll <laughs> never be as good as me." And let's, I mean, let's talk generally more broadly yeah. about Bradman. Um, okay. Like yeah. nothing about it makes sense. Nothing about his mm. averaging of ninety nine point nine four makes any sense. Mm. Uncovered wickets wasn't even sponsored. Mm. Um, batting in a in a in a business shirt. No Didn't women allowed sixes. in pubs. <laughs> no mm. women allowed in pubs. Mm. Sectarian violence. Never hit a six. Doesn't make it. Like it doesn't make any sense. Body line. But he's still averaging double more than anyone else yeah. in the history of the game. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, he's a good player. Um, <laughs> he's a very good player. Uh, just back to Kawaja, if that's possible. I think yeah. it's a good time to raise it. What I found interesting about Kawaja's innings of 145, a majestic innings, a wonderful, like in so many ways, Great an innings. excellent innings. Mm. I don't know if you guys caught it, but there was just so many media outlets desperate for him to confirm that this was his greatest innings ever. Yeah. And on each occasion, he refused to do it. Mm. Uh, and we don't know why, but it's as though they, ne- they never relented. I don't, maybe their articles were written before they asked the question, but uh, there is, seemed to be this great yeah, desperation this for him to con- ever, yeah. confirm that because, this is the best thing. Well, uh, Duplessis said that well, this was his best ever. So we wanted to know if they'd both had their best ever. It's like I'm kind of, you know, <laughs> is that like kind of like you know the insecure man who asks his girlfriend like, am I the best ever? Yeah. Am I the best yeah. you've had? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's exactly the same thing. You're right. I think I think though his his best innings was when he played against me and he scored 52 and all that in the winning side when he chased our 110. Um, I think that's the answer to the question. I think it's just clickbait, isn't it? It's just clickbait. They want Kawaja's best innings ever. Everything's got to be best ever. And like clickbait articles, seventeen of the hottest women you've never seen. And, and but I'll click every time. Kawaja's innings. That question was cricket's yeah. equivalent of that clickbait. All seventeen yeah. pages as well. You know, yeah. slideshow. Yeah, and there's yeah. ads. You got to close out. Then you get a virus. You got to get Matt from IT in. Yeah. It's just a nightmare. Yeah, because you're at work. Yeah, that's what Kawaja's innings was like. And day night cricket in Adelaide. Uh, everyone seems to have to pass judgment of it. What, you know, wasn't it wonderful? I liked it. I like it, Sam. I like the. I like the sunsets. Um, I yeah. like. Uh, I like the cathedrals, like the cathedral city. Yeah. Uh, I'm not. I'm never going to go there, but I can watch yeah. it on my TV, and it looks good in HD. Yeah. <laughs> Did, I mean, do you think Australia will play? I, I don't know that either of you two would have any idea of this, but do you think they should play the next Ashes match in Australia, hosted in Adelaide, as a day night fixture? I'd love to see it. I mean, I know the Ashes is a completely different proposition. It's tradition. It's a different beast. It's a different beast. Australia wants it. England so far have not replied to to James Sutherland's uh, questions. Uh, Out of office, out of office, out of action. Mm. I I don't know. I I think ultimately the reason they have night test matches, let's get commercial here, guys, um, that... It's bums on seats. It's viewership. It's uh, yes. it's commercial mm. dollars. Survival and they don't... of the format. Yeah, exactly. It's beating the project in the ratings. <laughs> and, and, and James and, Sutherland just hates Wally Dali. And they, <laughs> and they and they and they don't and they don't need that for the Ashes because people are watching anyway. So I and and night cricket is still a little bit. That's like they're still changing the ball every year. <laughs> every year they've changed it once in, in in one year. So that's every year. Every year. So I I don't see it happening just yet. Okay. Do you think England might sort of 
Alpha Australia on tradition? Yes, I do think that, yeah. Sam. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. That's all. <laughs> Let, we, let's let's talk about England. Let's talk about there England. Are other, there is other cricket oh, going okay. on. We don't talk it. Okay. Do you want to? <laughs> no, I didn't realise there was any other cricket on. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Pakistan played New Zealand as well. But uh, yep. uh, India have played England yep. uh, in the third test of what's been a pretty interesting series. India's beaten uh, beaten them by eight wickets in Mahali. Yeah. Uh, it was the third match of the series. India take a 2-0 series lead. So England can't win the series now, but they can square it up. Mm. Um, it was a pretty sort of... Well, I wouldn't say it's a standard India win because a standard India win is when they bat first, scored yep. one zillion runs and then bowl you out really quickly. Mm. England won the toss and batted, which mm. is really has been really critical to this series. Yeah. Uh, but they couldn't muster more than 280. Mm. Uh, it was a match that uh, all sort of uh, runs and wickets were kind of shared around. But yeah, Haseeb yeah. Hamid, the sort of mm. young batting prodigy mm. from England, he's an opening batsman, 19-year-old. He broke his finger or his hand. His hand yeah. or his finger? His finger was split in two, yeah. apparently. He came out to bat in the second innings heroically. Yeah. Scored 59, not out, but it wasn't enough. India mm. chased down 103. And That's the match summary. And how did the media <laughs> receive that? Because uh, we, we talked earlier about how Renshaw was received, you know. A bit of condescension there in terms of his run rate. Yeah, I think they love him. Um, so, like, I guess the, the the example for Australian audiences would be when Graham Smith batted with a broken hand at the SCG that day, where the cracks were as wide as this table. Great radio, and and Mitchell Johnson was buying wheels, and like, he, I think he got one on the glove, and people winced and stuff. Like, that was like truly heroic. There's something like there's something different though in India where it's spinning pitches and it's. Ravi Jadeja just like going from the hip mm. and just yeah, just giving it broadcasting an SD or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, watching cricket in India is hard, isn't it? That's how you can't get into the IPL. That's the reason. Right? It's That's something about reason. it which is. I'm colour blind, but I find the brightness too much for me. Do you guys find that? Yeah, it's, it's glary. Yeah, it's definitely glary. glary. Need, to, need to wear sort of uh, Mark Wall glasses from '93 <laughs> to watch the match. Ole. I mean, but this is this, this is the interesting thing, or yep. maybe just bizarre thing about the rankings. England lost the match. Yeah, and. Um, they moved up in the rankings from third to second. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, so they're Australia even more silly than FIFA rankings. <laughs> pretty, mu- pretty, yeah. much. Yeah, pretty much, they lost. They moved up to second, uh, which means that it's a contest between number one and number two in the world at the moment. Mm. Having said that, if they lose the next two matches, they'll drop down to fifth. Yeah. So that makes perfect sense, doesn't mm. it? Everything, everything makes sense in cricket. Mm. I mean, this test match, though, was really dictated by the first innings because in- England actually had India 6 for 200 in yes. their first innings when they got 280-odd. And then I think Jadeja and Ashwin put on about 100, and that really turned the game. And then from there, England were just spun out in the third innings. We've seen it a million times before. We were speaking last week. We have general fears, genuine fears and general fears, for Australia when they go over there. Uh, in 2017, that's going to be a scary time for for Australian uh, audiences because batting collapses central. Just just on that, do yeah. you, I mean, I know it's hard to remember stuff that was said a week ago or mm. two weeks ago, yeah. but after the, I think it was the the Sri Lanka series, the selectors were just um, really huge on saying that the side would now be picked on a horses for courses philosophy, which by extension means that regardless of what happens against Pakistan, mm. they'll be looking at a brand new side or a brand new arrangement mm. of players. Mm. Is that policy still in operation now that there's new selectors? Man, there's too many policies, like, because, like, like it's just... <laughs> but the horses' horses' philosophy is my favourite philosophy. Yeah. yeah well, of all the philosophies. Yeah. Of all the philosophies, yeah, that and Pythagoras' theorem. Mm. Um, but, like, it, like... It, the youth policy, then the then the experience, it's philosophy. then the well, <laughs> <laughs> maths as a philosophy. Yeah, Confucius, yeah, that, that is Trump-esque. Trump. Yeah. <laughs> Look at my hands, though. <laughs> yeah. 
but like you know the experience policy the youth policy the horses for courses policy I, there's too many policies and we yeah. stick to it like we don't stick to anything don't we love a youth policy though I remember when, when Andrew Hilditch was um, the head of selectors and he, he had this weird real like super youth policy almost like how you know some men have a half your age plus seven policy <laughs> for dating women I wonder if that's something they can bring in again because you know it's a great way to meet women <laughs> <laughs> We got Brad Haddon coming up next. We grade cricketers work hard. Everything has to be hard at all times. Work hard. Circuit hard. Just be hard. Never smart. Always hard. Guys, our guest today. Uh, had a career that spanned 66 tests. I uh, took 270 dismissals. There's four centuries, 126 ODIs, a World Cup. Uh, it's our pleasure uh, to welcome one of the most dynamic cricketers of the modern era and now published author, uh, Brad Haddon. Welcome to the Great Cricketer Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's, a, it's an honour to be here, actually. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Why does everyone say it sarcastically at the beginning, yeah. every week? Uh, Eddie that's Cowan it. told me he had a ball, so um, I'd be very surprised you got him off the show. Yeah, that's right. He did come Keeps up Keeps hitting us up on text, trying to get on again. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. get back, Ed. Don't, yeah. don't worry. You just come from recording Inside Cricket, and now, you know, with all the... With Brendan Julian and the flashy lights and the auto cues, now you're in the small, grim uh, studio, we call it. It's really just a dark room at the back of Fox Sports. Um, how, how are you finding, how are you settling into this little room? Mate, I'm good. I'm enjoying the, the dark room at the, at the back of Fox Studios. No, the cricket show was, a, was good tonight, actually. It was, um, oh, we'd, we'd been going through a difficult time, to, to be perfectly honest. We lost 11 games in a row. So to talk about some, some good in Australian cricket was really good. I, I thought the, the players that, that came in did an outstanding job. Um, so it was a lot easier for Mark War as well. So yeah, he didn't get abused for the uh, for the hour for once. <laughs> we we always kind of kick off in the same way, mm. Brad. So last week we had Rob Quiney on the show, and we asked him what we ask everybody, which is what's your relationship to grade cricket? Now he said his relationship to it at the moment was that he didn't want to be there at all. Um, <laughs> but more broadly, what's your relationship to grade cricket? Oh, well, I can answer that easily. I, I just came from a grey cricket lunch uh, just before the, <laughs> before the, um, the cricket show. So 7 p.m. Yeah. yeah. So you, yeah. It's a long lunch. Well, is there any other way to play grey cricket? <laughs> no, <it's good. laughs> so, no, I played uh, – I'm going to have a game, actually, for, for Northern Districts on the 10th um, to get ready for Big Bash. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a two-day game, but I'll be practising 2020. So, uh, Do you think you'll start in third grade or would you yeah. – Well, yeah. I've actually only ever played two grades to be honest. Um, it's a bit, I've played fifth grade, um, then I jumped the others and, and went straight to first grade. So <laughs> Jumped the others. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually don't know what, the, what happens in third grade. <laughs> of course you all about it. Yeah. You, don't, you don't want to know. Yeah, you don't want to know. Fifth, yeah. fifth grade was good fun. Was it? Yeah. yeah you, you must have hit one. them really well to go from five to ones. <laughs> yeah. I presume it's just in a week oh, as well. Well, yeah. I, I tell you what, it was an interesting selection. It was definitely a youth policy because <laughs> my high score in fifth grade was 22, so... I don't know what they've seen, but <laughs> but I was lucky enough to yeah to jump from uh, yeah fifth grade to first grade. So you started your grade cricket career in 
the ACT, right? At uh, Queanbeyan at the age of fifteen. Is that am right. I right in saying that? Queanbeyan's actually in New South Wales. Yeah, uh, right. So, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm thinking Fishwick, just porn and fireworks. That's, that's, that's actually my entire knowledge of <laughs> yeah, the ACT. That, yeah, I grew up just near Fishwick in Queanbeyan. It's about five k's away. But next story, let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I think you, you started your career playing against men at the age of fifteen. Am I, am I right in saying that? Yeah, I, I started first grade at, at fifteen. Mm. Um, so that was an interesting experience. Been. It took actually a big gamble from from her parents, to be honest, to to throw a um, fifteen year old in. Uh, yeah, that's bad parenting, to be honest. Mm. Uh, <laughs> fifteen year old into uh, to, to playing with with men, but no, it was yeah, it was it was enjoyable. I, I think um, growing up in oh, country towns or, or places like Canberra, you, you get the opportunity to, to to play against men a lot earlier, and, and I think it's very beneficial. I mean, playing against men, I'm sure they would have seen a. Small fifteen-year-old boy with weak forearms come mm. to the wicket mm. and gone. Here's my chance. This is why I play grade cricket mm. to sledge fifteen-year-olds. Did you mm. cop a bit of that? Yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> but oh, that that was stuff never worried me. And I remember my father saying to me, "You're going to cop a bit out here." And I remember after first game, um, I remember one guy. He didn't like me. He knew a lot about me, but um, <laughs> he, um, yeah, he, he wasn't that big a fan. But oh, I thought he surely had better things to do was instead of a fifteen-year-old that was coming in at number eleven. But we won the game. Well, that's his research as well because that's pre-Facebook. He couldn't have just jumped on and gone to your profile. Couldn't have gone to my research. cricket. Yeah, he couldn't have jumped on yeah. that. He had to follow you probably for for weeks. Speak to people in the pub. Yeah, kind of thing. yeah. yeah. Do you know Brad Haddon? He might have stalked me. Yeah, <laughs> who's this B Haddon in the uh, Queanbeyan <laughs> local? Yeah. All these high schools above 30. Yeah. Uh, so, Brad, you ended up uh, going to Sydney to play grade cricket there and you, you started at Northern Districts, is that right? You, and and you're, you, you're still there. I know that there was a change of club somewhere in the middle there. Yeah, there was. I started at Northern Districts, um, spent a couple of years there and I spent 10 years at, at Eastern and I'm back at Northern Districts now. So my, I, I enjoy grade cricket. Um, well, back when you, you started, that was a natural progression. You had to do well in grade cricket yeah, um, to, to get picked for, for New South Wales. So um, I, I had an enjoyable time. I had some great mates that, that I've made out of, the, um, out, out of grade cricket. And, yeah, I, I think it's a, a great tool. Do you find – I mean, we talk a lot as uh, poor middle-grade cricketers. Uh, mm. We've finished playing now. But Is that about, third grade? Yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty <laughs> much. In the middle of everything, now. batting six in third grade. <laughs> yeah. But um, <laughs> about when the state player comes along to training – you know, and how you kind of go up to the state player and you try and call them by their nickname even though you've never met them before in their life. I mean, mm. you can give us an insight into what it's like to be on the receiving the end of that. Side, Do you yeah. find a lot of people come up to you, they're complete strangers, but they might be wearing your club kit and they speak with a great familiarity to you? Mm. Oh, I think that was one of the beauties, is having a state player at... Uh uh, at your grade club, but oh, I think the one thing you did find is when you went into the net, um, you usually have a f- four or five bats in, in, in your bag, and you, you come back and you'd have two, and you'd hear the crack of a willow, and you think, geez, that sounds a lot like my bat. And, <laughs> and, and someone, had, uh, one of your mates, said, Oh, this is a lot better than mine, I might use this. I said, Well, I've got to make a living from that. So, yeah, it's. Um, yeah. Do you deliberately keep your kit open to show the four bats on display? Because yeah. that would be very tempting. All the same, like all the matching gear, like yeah. I'm sponsored. Yeah. I, I had matching, mine had to be matching. Keepers are traditionally pretty anal, so yeah. Yeah. I had to have the same. Yeah. So I had to have, make sure I had the, the, the same gear. Yeah. 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 I actually wouldn't use it if it was a different colour, to be perfectly honest. Mm. 
Well, so, I mean, let, let's fast forward a little bit. I mean, this, <laughs> sorry. We talk a lot about compulsion, though, in, yeah, yeah, in cricket, yeah. so it's really good to hear that. Yeah. I mean, j- just going to your, uh, to your test career, right? I mean, uh, we were talking before off-air about how much we enjoyed um, your career and, and the amount of runs you scored at New South Wales even before you played for Australia. And, and there's a lot of conversation at the moment about Australia trying to find its own identity post the glory years, you know, from the mid-'90s to the late-2000s. We hear a lot about batsmen who didn't, you know, who weren't given a test match, you know, throughout that, that time because we were so dominant. It's often forgotten that you had to wait quite a long time for a gig. You ended up playing 66 tests. Is, is there any part of you that thinks, you know, you could have played 100, 120, 200? No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, I thought I could have played 200. No, um, I actually, in all honesty, didn't think I was going to play any test match cricket. Really? Um, I, I debuted around, I think it was 21, 22 for Australia in one-day cricket and, and didn't debut for test matches till I was 30. But with the way things w- uh, were, I, I didn't think... If Adam Gilchrist had decided to, to go for a couple more years, um, I, I could have got looked over and, and, and a younger keeper had to come through. So being a wicketkeeper, you, you nearly have to be born into the position um, because once you get in, you traditionally heels had it for uh, near 10 years, mm. Gilly had it for a long time. So... I actually, in all honesty, didn't think I was going to get the opportunity to play test cricket just because of circumstances. I mean, in the book, uh, which is out now, and I encourage people to read it because I've read it and it's very interesting, uh, you do talk. You mentioned about injuries there. That A big part of being a keeper is waiting for that injury to happen. So, I mean, you suffered a lot of injuries throughout your own career. And I guess that kind of would have raised anxieties every time you break a finger that you might lose your slot forever. Oh, the one thing with being a wicketkeeper is obviously you've got six batters and, and there's six positions that can go for. But as a wicketkeeper, there's one position. And because it's a generational one, you had to be really careful from, from, from injury-wise that, that you didn't give someone else the opportunity. Because if they came in and, and did a really good job, you, you could lose your spot for, for five years and, and not get the opportunity to, to get back in. So, yeah... I, Oh, all keepers are the same. We've had to play with, with a lot of broken fingers. Um, oh, Nev's not the same. He catches them a lot better than me, so he, I don't think he's broken one. But mm. oh, I was, I, I broke it. I remember the the one that stands out the most was oh, I'd waited so long to get an opportunity to play Test cricket, and and I was so keen to to get out there. And I was diving around everywhere. And Mitchell Johnson was in one of those spells where he bowled a wide one. And athletically, I thought I dived and hit me on the end of the finger, and it, and it broke it about eight overs in. And I remember turning to Huss and said, "Mate, I've broken my finger looking for some sympathy." And he said, "I'm not keeping hats." <laughs> Self-interest drives <laughs> every cricketer at their core. Well, it's funny just in the studio now, hats. I mean, like we always hear about. I'm just calling you hats now. Oh, we yeah. just met. Sorry, great cricket, yeah, of course. Great cricket, um, yeah. We always hear the fabled stories, and you see it on TV of Ian Healy's uh, stumpy fingers. I'm looking at yours. They look good. They look wonderful. You <laughs> <laughs> now you're sticking your finger yeah. up at me. Uh, okay, well, I see one off to the side. But, I mean, really, they're not as bad as heels. Oh, I can debate that probably because I've got a lot of uh, metal in mind that uh, held them together. So, yeah, I, I, I was – yeah, my fingers weren't suited to, to wicket-keeping. They're, they're, they're quite thin and – um, so yeah, or I just didn't catch them as well as the other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a really fascinating time for Australian cricket at the moment. Obviously, you had your own battles with sort of Graham Manu played a Test match and Tim Payne, and then before that, obviously Adam Gilchrist. Um, he was pretty good. But at the moment, there's a fascinating battle between Neville and Wade. Like, how do you see that playing out? Oh, at the moment, Matthew Wade's got the spot, and, mm-hmm. and 
Oh, it's Peter Neville's to chase now. I like what Nev, how Nev responded to to being dropped. He went out and scored a, a 170 or near to, to 180 last week, and and that's what you want. You you want guys putting pressure, but uh, it's Matthew Wade's spot now to lose, um, and it's up to uh, up to Nev to to raise the bar in his own game and, and put some pressure on Matthew. So I, I think they're going to give him an extended run. Um, in that job, then so yeah, it's 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 good to see. It's healthy to have competition uh, for spots. I always enjoyed having other keepers around to to push you um, and, and share information about how to get better. So I, I see that competition is very healthy for Australian cricket. Mm. Who were you kind of wicket keeping? The people that you looked up to uh, the most throughout your career. I'm sure you would have spent a bit of one on one time with older keepers. Who did you kind of take the most inspiration from? Well, I was actually really lucky at the start of my New South Wales career, to be perfectly honest. I had Steve Rickson um, came in for his second stint as coach uh, for New South Wales. He he had a tremendous work ethic. Um, he was an ex keeper for for Australia and New South Wales. So I, I was blessed to to have him right there at my um, right there at my. my oh, at your front door um, for for the first five yeah, he years. Does that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> first five years, and then when I went to Australia, Tim Nielsen was uh, assistant coach and took over. So I, I was lucky to have keepers uh, around me all the time. Just heading back to the Wade Neville thing, if that's okay. Mm. Uh, it's it's. I guess I'm keen on your views about how important it is to display this this kind of intangible thing that they're talking about, you know, with Wade when it comes to aggression and, and on-field energy. I mean, how important do you think that aspect of his game was when the selector sat down? Look, your mate's with Junior. Just give us the insight. But I mean, when, when the selector sat down... He just walked out, actually. Yeah, that's right. We'll get him next time. But yeah. when the selector sat down to talk about it, I mean, it's a very kind of intangible aspect of the game. It's not really, pardon me, related to runs and, and catches. Do you, do you think it re- that that's what got Matt Wade over the line and got him that spot? No, I think it's it's his his performance with the gloves and bat over over the last few years. I think Matt's matured a lot um, as a cricketer since since he was last in the Australian team. Um, he's led Victoria to, to two shields as captain, um, so he's got a very good tactical brain. I, I think from a wicket keepers out, I was always brought up that our our job was to to run the tempo of the fielding. Um, and if we weren't fielding right or creating a presence um, of the standard that, uh, as a keeper, it, it should be happening out there. I, I used to take that personally. Mm. Um, so it, it is the keeper's job to, to make sure the standard and the energy in the field. And, and Nev does that as good as anyone. Um, so, so what does that mean? What does tempo and energy in the field actually mean? Like how does it manifest? If, if you're wicket-keeping, how, how are you keeping yourself accountable to a good tempo and good energy? Oh, probably... Is more uncomfortable the environment is for the better, the, the better we're doing our job. <laughs> uncomfortable <laughs> environments, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Creating a hostile environment. Yeah. Uncomfortable environments is the new word for yeah. mental disintegration yeah. Yeah, 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 for yeah. this new millennium. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking of uncomfortable environments, I mean, the, the, we have to talk, about, I guess, about the World Cup, the recent World Cup, and there was a lot of headlines, as you know, about how the New Zealanders behaved during that competition and how Australia reacted to their kind of nice guy mentality on and off the field. I think in the book you kind of talk a little bit about that um, and you, your team kind of devised a strategy to get back at them, I guess. Oh, we won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We won the world. Well, they were kind of being really nice to you. you, know, you came to their country, they were, you know, they were calling you up, giving you texts, nice little texts here and there, kind of creating this really friendly environment, the absolute antithesis to a hostile environment. Mm-hmm. And that kind of uh, threw you guys a little bit and you, you obviously lost the pool game. So in a way to counter that, the reaction was, let's create a very hostile environment for them. 
Oh, oh, it wasn't it. We just like to play an up-tempo game, uh, Australia, and we're playing at our best if we're concentrating on what we do well. We had a couple of guys that, that bowled 150k. So, from our point of view, we we needed to make sure our energy around that was making the batsmen feel uncomfortable. Yeah, um, and we won. Keep coming back to this key point. Yeah, that we yeah, won. Yeah. And they did. Yeah, I, I mean, look, this is this is a great cricketer podcast. I remember. Um, 10 years ago playing a, a match against uh, it's Manly. Most of the people who listen to this cast won't know who that is, but they kept winning the Spirit of Cricket Award and that was a source of, of sledging from our end. Now, I mean, would New Zealand win the Spirit of Cricket Award uh, when it comes to international cricket and is that a source of um, mockery in an Australian dressing room? I think you should never win the Spirit of Cricket Award, but you should never come last. Yeah. So you should be just, just in the middle. Yeah. Do you reckon that? Do you reckon it's funny because the amount of grey cricketers that I speak to is too many for my own liking. Yes. But <laughs> when the conversation of sledging comes up and you watch on international cricket, it's almost nothing compared to what happens in club level. Like some of the things you hear in amateur sport is really, really bad. Mm. Um, and the way that Matt Wade was carrying on, I'm using inverted commas, great radio, mm. um, during the Adelaide Test match and Kevin Peterson was saying, can we turn off the mics, can we shut this bloke up or whatever. <laughs> to me, like, my interpretation of it was that it was, he was creating great energy and it was good for, it was just good entertainment and he was getting the guys up and then building pressure and it, it all seemed like a little bit of a beat up. Like, I guess my question is, do you think the media sort of um, focuses on it more than what is actually happening on the field? Yeah, I, I think so. I think uh, you, you do though. You, I've, some of the the most you've ever been sledged is, is playing great cricket. To mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest, um, I remember the typical one to grade. If you have had your badge covered up with your tape, <laughs> with tape and you yeah. hit on yeah. hit on the pad, and they yeah. say, "Oh, he's a state player." I, I used to just take my tape off. So if you know I'm a state player, I might as well have covered the back. Whereas <laughs> <laughs> so as branding as possible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's good. Well, shall we? Uh, shall oh, well, you've got a couple. We of might months. as well just quickly talk about the book. Mm. Um, that's what I'm here for. Aren't I? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, we should just quickly though. Yeah, yeah. We'll sort out the invoice later. Yeah. yeah. Look, I mean, your book is a little bit different to other cricket autobiographies, and that you kind of alternate the chapters between your cricket life in a way, and, and also some of the personal challenges you faced. Um, and you're quite descriptive in a way in, in the challenges that happened to your daughter, the various tests and procedures that are well documented. Um, so I'm wondering what kind of audience you're hoping to reach with the book because it's not your typical cricket book for cricket nuffies. <laughs> oh, no, it's, not, it's it's still a cricket book. Um, to be perfectly honest, I really struggled to start with to to pen anything for for the book. Um, from a family point of view, we're, we're quite uh, private. We like to keep uh, these sort of matters in, in house. But one thing, Mia was diagnosed when she was 17 months and. For the first uh, six months where she had some really, really dark days and um, different things have happened to her body with hearing loss and that because of the treatment, she actually can't remember a lot of that. Um, so one of the reasons for, for penning the book was we think it's going to be a great tool for, for me later on when we're trying to explain actually what had happened to her. Um, so from that point of view, yeah, it was... What was your question? Oh, basically just... In a way, this book is different to many other cricket autobiographies oh, that I've read in that you, uh, yeah. you're quite detailed in, um, in what your daughter went through medically. Yeah. Um, and I think in that way, it could be quite a valuable resource for anyone if their child or, or loved one is facing cancer or something like that. Yeah, and, and that also was the reason. To, if someone's going through similar struggles um, with their family and, and see that they're not the only people out there, if it can be a tool to, to make their life a, a, a lot easier... Um, well, well, the book's been, um, it's been worth it. 
That's good, and you've you clearly decided to do something um, really meaningful and helpful with those chapters rather than just sledge your teammates, uh, as a lot of your other ex-colleagues are <laughs> doing must have been as well. tempting. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed my time. I, I, I would not change one bit of my career, the, the good, the bad, or in, the indifferent. Um, I, I made some great um, relationships out of the game, so... Yeah, it's not my style to um, start sledging with teammates. I enjoyed everyone. Although in the book there is one uh, anecdote. <laughs> Although yeah. not, not of you, but yeah. when one of your early games in the Mercantile Mutual Cup, Dean Jones, <laughs> um, you, were, you were playing for the Canberra Comets yeah. against yeah. the Vicks, and as you walked out to bat, uh, Dean Jones said something along the lines of, you don't even belong on the same field as me. So are you happy in hindsight that you played more tests than him? <laughs> Uh, I am now. Um, no, I, I actually have a really good relationship with, with Dino. Dino um, coached uh, the team I played for in the in the Pakistan League, Islamabad United, and were lucky enough to, to win it. So I brought it up with him. He said, yeah, yeah. you're right, Hads. I probably would have said that. But <laughs> He's lost count of how many yeah. people he said that to. Yeah, that's right. But it was a, for me, it was a, a great learning experience. Um, Canberra Comets were just uh, invited to play in the Mercantile Mutual, um, the one-day comp, and and for an 18-year-old trying to make their way, there's, everyone was trying to tussle for first-grade spots or second-11 spots in the state. But I, I was lucky enough to get exposed straight away to, to top-quality players like, like Dino. So I, I remember him walking over to me thinking, I wonder what Dino's going to say. I'm, <laughs> I'm a young guy. He's Kookaburra yeah. gear. I've got my name on his back, basically. Um, and I was thinking, I wonder what he's going to say, what yeah. sort of a words of encouragement. Yeah. And he just said... You don't deserve to be on the same field as me and turned away. It's <laughs> so, cricket. Yeah. Yeah. Life goes on and we won the game. Bad luck, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> if you're listening. Yeah. You are saying before about how um, sort of you and your family are quite private and you have your private life separately. Do you find the level of celebrity that comes with playing international cricket, is that something that you found quite difficult? Or guys on your team as well, have you found that quite difficult to just get normal to get, get sort of used to celebrity life? Oh, not in all honesty, we had a really good uh, close um, close family, but a really good um, circle of friends away for the game. So mm. they got a funny ways to, to keep you grounded. Mm. Um, also, the the only thing, as I said before, I, I enjoyed my time playing. I wouldn't change anything, and and I made sure that my my kids weren't um, affected in any way. Um, so I've got three young kids, eight, six, and and four. So oh, we we. When it was family time, it was family time. So mm. I could I could take the heat of, of what was going on. And even when you had bad days um, and the press would write up about them, they, they don't affect the player as much as they do, whether it might be your grandparents mm. or your, mm. your parents. So I, I could deal with all that. It was just, yeah, it was making sure your, your family was, was kept at arm length so mm. nothing affected them. There was a story last week about Brian Lara being in a pub in the Hunter Valley and some blokes went up to him and got them to sign him up for the team have you had some similar experience where just really bad blokes annoy you at a pub mm. or a, or or a podcast, podcast shit yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, no, I think the one thing that comes with with playing for Australia and and being the playing cricket for Australia is is everyone's interested in the game there, there'll become a day when no one wants to talk to you so um, yeah oh, you've got to enjoy the fans that, that's what we're there for we're there, we're there to entertain um we want as many people through the gates as um, they, they possibly can. So 99% of the time, they're, they're there just to, to say, well done. How much more cricket do you think you have in you? You say you're going to return None. to the ground. <laughs> 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 no. Yeah, I've got, um, I've got one uh, this year with the Sixers and, and uh, I'm going to play in the Pakistan League in, in um, Dubai. So, yeah, I've only got 2020 um, 
in me now. As a, I don't miss yeah. playing. Um, I had a blessed career, um, but I think I exhausted all options. Um, yeah. I still love the game. I love being involved with it and, and love watching. But from a playing point of view, I don't miss that sick feeling in my stomach, um, dry reaching, getting ready to bat, thinking, oh, I've got a bat in front of 90,000 here. What happens if I hit off for a duck? Yeah, it's like, the worst, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great cricket too, yeah. Dad's there. Uh, <laughs> they're the harshest judge sometimes. But, yeah, yeah. I... I yeah, I don't, I don't miss playing. Yeah. Can I just ask one more question yeah. that I'm fascinated about just from a you know, personal perspective? Yeah. What would you say would be the highlight of your career? The highlight? Um, I, I enjoyed uh, the Ashes campaigns. Yeah. Um, I, I thought the theatre be, behind an Ashes campaign was um, different to, to any other test match I, I'd played in. With the, with the scrutiny you're under away from the game, you, you turn up to a media... Um, calling and there might be ten people, but for an Ashes campaign there could be sixty. So I enjoyed testing myself in an Ashes campaign because the theatre was just so different to, to anything else. In that two thousand and fourteen fifteen Ashes series when we won five nil, do you know how many runs he scored? A few. Do you know not exactly? Quite as, do you know not exactly? Quite as much as Davey keeps telling me. Do you know exactly <laughs> yeah. how many you scored? Five hundred. 493, he's pretending. Always round up. Yeah. 500 odd. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know actually. That was, I mean, it was a huge series for, for many reasons. But I mean, the, the tactics of that series seemed to be fast pitches, lightning quick bowlers, and just bouncing blokes out. I mean, was that sort of, have I just basically. Um... You're in our team meeting. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I, I think um, oh, we, we'd lost in England, mm. I think, 2 1. Um, yeah. But we sort of thought we, we'd played a bit better than that. Um, we just happened to lose some really big moments um, and we didn't recognise them as quick as England. And coming back to Australia, um, we had a lot of guys at the who, who were coming right in their peak. We had Mitchell Johnson waiting back here, uh, fully fit, uh, and we had a really hungry group to, yeah, to be a part of a winning Ashes. A few of us have never been part of it. So that, that was an amazing summer. Um, and for me, it was a... My first summer back after having the 12 months off uh, with, with Mia. So, yeah, it was, it was a ripper. Mm. We'll move on to the throwdown section of, uh, of the guest spot, Brad. So this is just a – oh, here goes. You're, you're good at the rules. What are the rules? Well, you always the change game? the rules every week, Sam, but True. I'm not dirty about it and I haven't lost any sleep about it. Mm. Um, we're looking for really just one-sentence <laughs> answers, um, Brad, if that's all right. I'll call you Brad because I respect you, not like Sam over there because he had – Can I have some gloves? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> – just we're just going to fire some questions at you and um, and just quick quick as answers as possible. I'll lead off. Which country provides the best tea spread? England, Lords. Yeah, thought so. Brad, in, in your book, you say that your dad used to stand away from the other parents when watching you play, uh, so he could concentrate on the game. Was this so he could get a better vantage point to critique you when you got out? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was lucky. No, that, that that wasn't the case. He didn't like to uh, listen to all the talk that was going on. No. Brad, uh, whenever you leave a job, you always ask your ex-colleagues whether the new bloke in your role is any good, and you secretly hope they aren't. With that in mind, are you elated with the state of Australia's wicket-keeping at this moment? <laughs> Oh, mentored uh, <laughs> Peter Neville and, and trained with him. So, uh, but I, I think I did too good a job. Yeah. Who is your favourite person to sledge? I've never sledged anyone. 
Barat Coley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, at Edgebaston 2005, you were playing touch footy in the warm-up. Um, you threw a pass to Glenn McGrath. He fell over on a ball and did his, uh, did his knee, or his ankle, should I say. How much sleep have you lost over the fact that you cost Australia the Ashes? No, we weren't playing uh, touch football. And I don't think I was the last pass. We're just standing around and John Buchanan put balls out everywhere. McGrath being clumsy as he was, trot him. Oh, because I, I really thought there was a game of touch footy or a ball was at least being thrown around. A, a Sharon or a Steed, I'm not yeah. sure which. Yeah, don't believe what you read. Yeah. John Buchanan's fault. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to know if it was a short ball or a face pass or yeah. whatever. It was nah, a, it would have been hard to hit him with a long ball. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it would have been his fault if it was a short ball. It's a bit of a longer question, Brad. It's a true or false question and it's come in false. from an outside, outside source. Yeah. Uh, and it relates to something you spoke about earlier. Uh, Someone just mentioned this to me. So it was a first-grade semi-final for Eastern Suburbs that you were playing in. You noticed that an opposition batsman of insignificant profile was (coughs) using a bat that you recognised. You walked up to him and you said, is that my bat in the middle of the match? And he said, yes. Um, He became very nervous. And soon after that, he got out. Uh, As he walked off, uh, dismissed, you told him to leave your bat by the dressing room door. (laughs) Is that true or false? (laughs) False. No, uh, it's, it's half. I true. had the story confirmed this morning. Yeah, it was it was against Balmain. It was a left-hand batter, and I gave the bat to Graham Thorpe. And I was I was a member crouching. I thought, geez, that looks like one of my bats. And I said to I said, is that mine? He goes, yep. I didn't want it. <laughs> it's too heavy for me. Brad, last year there was an explosive device found outside your your home, which which luckily turned out to be nothing serious. You read too much. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just wondering which of your sledging victims was responsible for this. Do you think? Which of mine? Well, as I said, I've never sledged before. That was two aerosol cans. Yeah, terror. Oh, this is one of those weeks my do- I missed the test match. My daughter was in hospital, and I get a phone call. Someone's trying to blow your house up. But- Jesus. Well. They didn't do a good job. I've just recently knocked my house down. I said, my dad said, just put it on two in the corner and one in the middle and get rid of it all. (laughs) So it would have saved me a lot of money knocking my house down. Um, Brad, despite not playing a game in the 2015 World Cup, Mitchell Marsh was seen out circuiting in full Australian ODI kit. Um, How much did this annoy you? And can I have some gloves? (laughs) <laughs> you already asked that. <laughs> twice for gloves yeah. now. Um, yeah. well, one, it didn't says. annoy me because I, I went on the 2007 World Cup in the West Indies and didn't play a game and I enjoyed the time as much as Mitchell mm-hmm. Marsh did. But Mitch won us the first game um, against England. He got four for, or maybe even five for. So, yeah, it's he, everyone was a part of the squad. But so we should have been. We just won a World Cup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad, I don't I, have any gloves left. I've got, a, I've got another... <laughs> True or false question uh, from an outside source. So I just want to kick it off by saying we know that grade cricket is a house of lies. Uh, Francis Leach said this could be a lie, um, but I'm just going to ask anyway. Someone told me that very long ago at an under-19s carnival where you were playing, uh, there were there were two fields or maybe three fields and you would, as captain of the New South Wales side or whatever side you're playing for, you'd wait for the Australian under-19 selectors to be walking around the ground and then you would instruct your medium pacer to bowl. You'd then stand up to the stumps and instruct them to bowl leg side wide so you could show that you could do leg side stumpings to the selectors. That's a tactic. That was, <laughs> yeah, we had a little selection. medium pace bowler and being coming from Canberra, you had to try something and get noticed, so... So you engineer a scenario. Yeah. You, you Mate, do you know how hard it is to do that, make a... Go down leg side, get the batter to cross his feet and take the bails off? No. no. no but, all, but to do that and to third have seen... Third grade, bef- that wouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it doesn't have to be third grade, yeah. 
All right, final question, unless you've got one more, Pez. Um, I'd just like to know, uh, in February this year, Brad, you're playing for um, Islamabad United uh, in the Pakistan Super League. Yesterday, however, uh, Russia denied reports that <laughs> 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 they're, they're in talks with Islamabad to join the multi-million dollar, or multi-billion dollar, I should say, uh, China-Pakistan Hello? economic corridor. Broken? <laughs> um, have you met Vladimir, Vladimir Putin? And how big are his hands? <laughs> no, he's meant to come after the game we won, uh, when we won the final, but uh, he got held up for some reason. <laughs> Flights coming in or out. From Queanbeyan to Vladimir Putin. Yeah. Well, We're Brad, it's, it. been, it's been wonderful having you on. My last question was whether I could have gloves too, but it's been asked <laughs> twice before. Uh, thank you so much for joining the Great Cricketer podcast. We wish you all the best with the book. Uh, it, it's a good one. And... Um, We'd love to have you on the show again. Good, good luck uh, with the Big Bash League as well. No worries. It's hard to get on here with Ed Cowan waiting at the front. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. He's knocking on the door. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, mate. It has been referred to as uh, the, the best uh, sports writing tribute to, to a particular sport since Fever Pitch. Uh, does it do anything to enhance literature? It would be another question. Another. I wouldn't even call it literature, really. Absolutely fantastic to have Brad Haddon on the show. His book, My Father's Keeper, is out at the moment in all good bookstores. It is a revealing insight into his, uh, his cricketing career and his personal life as well, so we highly recommend it. Some big news coming up. Yes, he goes, I caught, uh, I mean, we all would have caught this news earlier in this week. Everyone's dying in 2016. And Fidel Castro, the Cuban dictator, great or not, that's been up for discussion. Mm. Uh, we won't go into it here. But there's been a really, everyone sort of, when, I guess, Huge figures like this die. There's a lot of obituaries and there's a lot of stories being told. And The Guardian this week was a story from Andy Bull, great journalist over in the UK, called El Comandante's Diplomatic Pitch. And it's a story of how Fidel Castro, uh, the Cuban leader, was touring through the West Indies and, and in particular Barbados. He yep. was with the Barbados Prime Minister. Uh, he saw a game of cricket taking place and he knew at the time that cricket was great in the West. It was a great way to bring the West Indies together, which is obviously a series of separate islands. Mm. And he was keen on bringing the game to Cuba. So he stopped at the game, took the Barbados president out and they walked straight onto the field uh, with their you know, full convoy of security, etc. Yeah. Uh, the players obviously didn't say anything. They didn't say anything like, you know, get that dog off the field or anything, um, Mm. Mm. as they're doing grade cricket. Mm. And uh, whereupon (laughs) Fidel Castro took up the bat and he uh, asked the Barbados Prime Minister to bowl to him. The Prime Minister bowled to him and he was completely foxed, as Andy Bull says, by the bouncing ball because he had a baseball background. So he instructed the Prime Minister to uh, bowl it at chest height and he played it like baseball. Uh, he did okay there. The, the ball sort of, I think, you know, strung along the field somewhere. Mm. Then when he bowled, he insisted on chucking it mm. uh, as well, even mm. though they tried to teach him how to do it properly. He said, no, I'm going to chuck it. I just thought it was interesting. It kind of it, it heralded back to, you know, WG Grace, just saying, look, you know, they've come to watch me bat. I'm going to keep batting. Mm. Yep. Or, you know, other memes from the yeah. Batuta advocate about Kim Jong-un, you know, scoring 900 <laughs> runs. Uh, I was just wondering, you know, if there's any other dictators or huge leaders mm. that you'd like to see play cricket and how would they play it? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think, like, ultimately, if, if you're if – you were the batting side when Fidel Castro came out to bowl and you didn't yell out Bowler's name. Yeah. Um, I mean, what are, what are you even playing for is yeah. the question that I want to yeah. Life. Life, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about dictators. I wonder how Hitler would have gone. I mean, I've always thought I've never that, been yeah. one to make comedy about Hitler. But sure. he would have been great between the wickets, I think. Just really loud calls, early loud calls. <laughs> I don't know how many showers he'd have after the game because I think he had one testicle. <laughs> so I think he'd probably want to want to keep that one secret from the lads. And moving on to a more sort of local level, uh, yep. boys, there's been some 2020 cricket played uh, in, I guess, at the club level over yep. the weekend. And mm. a couple of international stars uh, 
really succeeded. I mean, they, they really dominated in kind of scary ways. Yeah. Uh, well, Johan, I was frightened. Johan yeah. Boiter. The uh, now Sydney Sixers all-rounder, the, the great South African cricketer mm. for many years. Australian citizen now. Australian and a, citizen. And naturalised Australian citizen now. He had a remarkable day <laughs> in the in the Kingsgrove Sports T20 Cup on Sunday. Hello, Harry. Uh, hello to Harry. Harry yeah. Solomons from Kingsgrove Sports Centre. Guys, he took um, five for 12, including a hat-trick <laughs> against Sydney Cricket Club. He then went on to score 102 not. They won the game. His tonne came off 45 balls. Nine sixes, uh, six fours. Later in the day, they had another game against Illawarra and he scored 87 not from 45 bowls again. So in summary, Johan Boyder on one day scored 189 runs not out off 90 balls. He took a fifer, including a hat-trick, and he got two wins. Uh, the, questions are, the question I want to know is, how big was Johan Boyter's circuit that night? <laughs> Has anyone seen him? Yeah, no, not since then. Well, he, I mean, he did, he did say during the week that he wanted to play for Australia. Well, he, he certainly didn't rule out the possibility of playing for Australia one day because he wants to play international cricket. So I guess he can play for any team. That's just how international Start cricket works. Start by circuiting for Australia. Start by circuiting for Australia. for Australia. That's what I'm sort of alluding to. Yeah, I mean, how big a circuit, Dave? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I've never taken Pfeiffer and scored 189 in my life, let alone in just one day. Mm. Um, but doesn't this just demonstrate the huge chasm between... Yeah. International cricketers oh, and your humble chasm. grade servants. Yeah. Always uh, said that. Um, but but this is this is a thing, Dave. Is there any part of you as a club cricketer, and you know, and not just you, anyone out there who's played grade cricket, who mm. invests a lot of their self worth in the, the grade that they played, uh, who gets disappointed when you see an international player, particularly an aging one, to be fair to Boita, yeah. uh, dominate at that to, mm. to that extent? Mm. It, it really diminishes whatever you've achieved, and it, it yeah. kind of relegates that level to, to something approaching like rank amateurism. Not yeah. just amateurism, everyone, rank amateurism. Everyone's seen it. I remember back you know, a long time ago when I was at Gordon and I think Michael Slater you know, had a week off and he played a bit of great cricket, rocked up in a Ferrari yeah. at uh, Bird Oldfield Oval and just mm. hit a ton off very few balls. And mm. it just showed me that, wow, you know, there is a huge gap between Michael Slater and, and Dave Edwards. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to tell the story about when and Slas played for Uni New South Wales against North and Aaron Bird hit him in the head. And uh, he had blood trickling down his face, and it was yeah, the front page of the right. papers. I, remember, yeah. I mean, these are the days I thought when grade cricket was, was still a reasonably good standard, and you know, international players wouldn't have it all their own way. Yeah, I mean, like I think in general that because international players are playing so much cricket now, like we just talked about Brad before, he's playing in the Islamabad, uh, he's playing for Islamabad in the Pakistan League. Putin I mean, and et cetera. Exactly. And, and you know, there's Scariest the IPL. League I mean, we spoke to Rob Quiney last week. He's playing for about eight different sides. He's playing for Auckland. He's playing for the Melbourne side. He's playing for the state side. He's playing for the national team. Like, all these different, like... And so, therefore, these guys aren't playing great cricket anymore. Therefore, they don't get the exposure well, to, you know... They just hit balls for a living. That's what they and do. And if you're just a guy who, you know, goes to training on Tuesdays and Thursdays, gets one net of those two sessions, <laughs> yeah. usually at 7pm, yeah. you know, there's no light, yeah. blokes are bowling at your head in darkness, yeah. and you're expected to go out there and play against professional, real mm. test cricketers. <laughs> and, and, I mean, it, it doesn't end there with Boita. It's uh, also James Pattinson yeah. uh, for mm. Dandenong this week. And, and this is even worse because he... Uh, we all recognise that James Pattinson can bat. Yeah. He's not a recognised batsman. Mm. He hit 137 mm. off 64 balls for Danzenong Panthers against Ringwood. Mm. Uh, again, it's a sort of knock that would have a player thinking that they're on the cusp of state selection as a batsman. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was just a lusty lower order knock for him. I, 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 Why I is recall lower some order hitting always called lusty? 
Yeah, that's a well, left handed as well. No right hand has been described as lusty. Yeah, you know, yeah, so like, it's, it's the use of the L word, right? Yeah, alliteration, lusty, yeah, lower yeah, order, alliter- alliteration, simple alliteration. There, yeah. I mean, you've seen those stats, you know, for James Pattinson it is jarring, isn't it? I mean, I, I certainly was jarred. I was shocked. I was <laughs> to my core. I often had this conversation with my mum. Um, about where would Glenn, when are you going to move out? <laughs> about where Glenn McGrath would have batted. Um, I was at school at the time, so where he would have batted for for our team, and I, yeah. I obviously said, "Well, behind me, Mum, yeah. <laughs> love me here." Yeah. Um, but <laughs> Mum, love never gone in that. Part. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was unconditional. Dark. It's always yeah. Dad, love. It's always conditional with Dad. <laughs> How many runs you got? But I just I, you, know, you always put those guys' scores in context to your own. So it's so like where would where would Glenn McGrath bat in grade cricket? Like, yeah. could he play? In first grade as a batsman, probably not. He it would just look weird if he came in at three or four, just because <laughs> yeah. he's like six foot twelve. Yeah, yeah. and then <laughs> he is. He's six foot twelve. Yeah, he's yeah. seven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, six twelve. Guys, that time of the week where we uh, answer your questions, you the uh, the great cricketer audience, um, and you can send those in to us every week via Twitter or via Facebook. Uh, this one came into our private inbox. Um, should I mention the name of the correspondent? Let's not for the moment. No. This person got in touch with us and told us a very personal story that involved... Uh, <laughs> <a> solemn. <laughs> yeah. Carry on. Not even about cricket at all. Yeah. Just you know, going through some stuff. Yeah. No, he, uh, he mentioned that... Kind of true. This is, this is what he said. At a recent Adelaide first grade match in which my son was playing, the club's team manager had gone missing for the first drinks break. And I had to jump in very quickly and take the drinks out myself. I was welcomed with much joviality by the team and found myself accidentally standing in the middle of the team huddle holding two jugs of cordial during the skipper's rev up. I think I may be more popular than my son. I am 60. Should I stop alphering him? Now, guys, I wrote back to him saying... Yeah, so this, is, this isn't a standard ask TGC, is it? No. This isn't us answering right now yeah. like spon- spontaneously. You, you took some time and considered your response? Well, yeah. Well, uh, yes, I did. So, you know, we all saw the message <laughs> and I wrote back to him saying, yes, you should definitely embrace your newfound social capital, even if it comes at the expense of your son. Mm. He wrote back saying, he is the team's off spinner. I wish you'd been around during my marriage breakup to offer advice. <laughs> is there any more advice we can offer him here? I mean, he's offered his son in, in public view. Yep. Um, I'm sure he hasn't felt very good, uh, the kid. Yeah. What are your guys? Oh, I mean, I, I guess after four years of encouraging people to embrace social capital at the expense of anybody, even your nearest and dearest loved ones. It's actually quite satisfying to see that it's rubbing off, you know, on, um, on the great cricket community out there, the club cricket community. And uh, to the point where, you know, the, the, I guess the person who wrote the message said that we, you know, he wishes we'd been around during his marriage breakup. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't have much more to add. I have literally nothing else to add. Uh, Yeah. Okay. What, what, what kind of service could we have provided during the marriage break? Just, <laughs> yeah. just replies that's, to Well, that's DMs. what I'm wondering. You yeah. should alpha your, your soon-to-be ex-wife. Yeah. <laughs> Self-interest governs all. It's the, rule, governs, it's the first yeah. rule of, of club cricket. Okay, there's a, there's a second one in here, a little bit lighter. Uh, so, And I'll read the name out. It's from Lachlan Cox. Uh, Lachlan says, How come every time I come into bat against the bottom team at three for 200, I get knocked over by a Jaffa on the top of off by their eighth-change slow medium bowler? <laughs> it's a very, Does that mean they have it's a, seven other slow medium bowlers and he's just yeah. the eighth in that succession? I mean, that, yeah. that was my reaction. It's a very specific thing to happen all the time yeah. to him. It's three for slow 200. Medium. It's the eighth change slow medium bowler and it's always a jaffer yeah. at the top of off. I mean, it's, I, I'm, I'm just worried about 
you know, his psychological state. It sounds like catastrophizing to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, surely this can't be true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, know, I know what Lachlan's saying, though, and he's saying, like, you know, when you watch your side batting and, you know, it's a road and then there's a fat guy at short cover who drops dolly after dolly and then you go in there and you'll flick one off your pads and the guy who wasn't even watching takes an absolute hanger at square leg and you're thinking, well, isn't this just my luck? Well, I mean, like, from the pavilion, it all just seems so innocuous, doesn't it, when they're three for 200 coasting and then you go out there and it's suddenly this cauldron that you've stepped into and there's tension in the air and people are chirping at you left, right and centre. Yeah. And even this... One brings change, two. One yep. brings two, yeah. Mm. It's two for 800. <laughs> Um, but we need another wicket for team. Mats. But, you know, and then this innocuous-looking bowler comes on and he's suddenly got heat and you're scared. And, you know, and you get out for a duck. You're third in the season and you're about to quit. I heard this fantastic story um, from a, a colleague of mine today and uh, he was saying that um, uh, one, one of the big dogs at, 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 uh, at my work, he had to umpire his uh, son's underage game. So this was many years ago, but it was like an under-10s game, right? And this guy, and the umpire, the designated umpire for the day was late, didn't turn up. He, he wasn't there. So this guy's dad had to umpire the fixture. So this guy was an opening bowler, under 10s. He's all revved up. Thanks for bringing the game, Dad. Thanks for coming. Not only is he coming and watching, he's actually the umpire at the end that his son's bowling Best at. Best day of the kid's life. Best day. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't get any better than that. Trust me. So He bowled extra close to the stumps <laughs> that day. <laughs> Just to get geographically close to his dad. Sorry, man. <laughs> anyway, so first ball... Um, it's full and straight and the opening batsman just kicks it off middle. It's absolutely plum. And this guy turned around and said, how's that, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> Go clean your room. <laughs> it's never out. You'll never be better than me. <laughs> uh, I mean, we wanted to concentrate, spend a bit more time on a couple of questions this week. And we're also a little bit kind of – we don't, don't want to punish people with um, – you know, comments about the podcast and stuff like that. So if you're listening now, send your questions in via Facebook or Twitter. We won't be writing about it too much. Do we have any themes that we want people to particularly focus on for us to talk about next week? I mean, whatever's on your mind. Good. Whatever's yeah. on your mind yeah. right now. If you've made it this far in the podcast, fair, fair, I mean, first of all, fair play to you. Mm. Um, but whatever's on your mind right now, get us on social media. You can get us on Twitter, on the Twitter machine. You can hashtag AskTGC. You can even go into the DMs on Facebook if you need to. Please don't, though. <laughs> That's when you get instant notifications. It's really annoying. Boy, it's been, it's been an absolutely fantastic show. I've enjoyed your, ple- your, your company with much pleasure. Brad Haddon, wasn't he a wonderful guest? He was. He was good. He was good. Um, next week, we'll do it again, I guess. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>